Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, April 5th, 2017. We'll be doing our light episode today as we consider the prohibition against graven images. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's oftentimes how that works out. Now, part of the discernment task, if you would, is to become fluent and conversant in God's Word, rightly taught, in context, understanding what it really says, and really studying it to the point where you're so familiar with what God's Word says that if anyone were to teach anything, um, how should we put it, uh, innovative, yeah, you'll recognize it as being false. Now, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, like we normally do, we try to do this on Wednesdays. Uh, we have one day a week where we do a light episode. It's not that the topic is light, it's that we're dealing with one topic in particular. And uh, this one will uh, give us occasion to highlight one of the major differences between the Lutheran and the Reformed, and this has to do with an understanding of the Ten Commandments, especially uh, due to the fact that the Lutherans go with the historic ancient Catholic way of uh, numbering the commandments, which means the second commandment is not uh, a prohibition against the creation of graven images. Instead, the second commandment is a, well, is not taking God's name in vain. And so in today's episode, we're going to examine why that is and how Lutherans understand the prohibition regarding graven images, what it is prohibiting, what it is not prohibiting. So uh, grab a Bible. We will uh, begin in Exodus chapter 20. Let's get to it. Here we go. Let's pray and get started. If you want to open up your Bible, Exodus chapter 20, and you can put a finger on Numbers 21. We're going to 
a kind of attack a question. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we ask that you would send your spirit upon us so that we may understand your word. Help us to understand what it is that you've revealed. And in understanding your revelation, that we may know you, know what you have done for us, and know what it means to walk in the freedom of the gospel so that we may keep your law. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter 20. Now, those of you who've spent any time in um, let's say Baptist churches or just evangelical churches or kind of Calvinist churches. What is the second commandment according to them? Love yourself more than the God. Love yourself more than God. No, that would be quite weird. Okay, that would. <laughs> ah, there we go. Not make idols. The, in, in the Reformed wing of the Christian church, the second commandment is this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love and keep my commandments. So, in the Reformed camp, general evangelical camp, the second commandment is you shall not make for yourself any graven images. What's the second commandment in Luther's small catechism? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's wrong with us? Why aren't we getting with the program? Can't you just see here? We've got to get rid of all graven images. That's the second commandment. And this actually gets to... Um, uh, you know, uh, one of the major differences in uh, the Protestant Reformation between Lutherans and those in the general Reformed or Anabaptist wings of the Protestant Reformation. And that is, is that the Lutherans have kept the historic numbering of the Ten Commandments, and the Reformed camp has, uh, let's just say, they're working with a modified version of the Ten Commandments. So um, if you're familiar with the early history of the Presbyterian Church, and there are still some churches like this within the Presbyterian movement. What are they known for? Any stained glass? What did you say, staunch? They're known for staunchiness. Okay? In many of the ancient Presbyterian churches, if you will go into their prayer house, white walls, no stained glass, were there any kind of liturgical art at all? No. No depictions of Jesus? On the cross, none of that. And they go back to this and they say, the commandment is you shall not make for yourself any graven images. So this is their understanding of the second commandment. And they think this is the second commandment. We would beg to differ and we let Scripture interpret Scripture so that you can understand. So the question is, there we have Norwegian Jesus up there with his light feathery hair. I mean, he'd really look good in puka shells and uh, some surfboard shorts. But anyway... (laughs) I grew up in Southern California. He really looks like he blends. Anyway, but there's Norwegian Jesus. Now, are we sinning by having liturgical art and a depiction of Christ in our church? If we were to have a cross with the actual body of Christ on it, it goes from being a cross to being a crucifix. Is that sinful? No, it's not. But the question is, well, how do we know? 
that it's not sinful? Are you prepared to be able to like say, listen, let's open up the Bible and let's compare this idea. Now, um, those of you who keep track of what's going on in popular you know, American Christianity, maybe you listen to Christian radio, what's the big movie that came out this week? The Shack. Ufta is right. The Shack, I'm, I, do I need to do a, t- a lesson on why, what's wrong with that? Do I need, uh, all I need to say is like, okay, listen, God the Father is depicted as a woman. Already we've got a problem. I mean, the theology in this book is a train wreck, and the theology that has come into the movie, because it's based on the book, is a train wreck. And William Paul Young is not a sound Bible teacher. He is a postmodern emergent. Yeah, he's a postmodern emergent. And I would say he's got his own thing going on. He's got his own theology. He was on the radio yeah, if he shows up and does a public appearance, I'd love to be in the audience just to be able to ask a question. But yeah, so there are some people, there are some within... Uh, you know, visible Christianity, we'll kind of put it in that term, who will not go to see the movie, and it has nothing to do with the theology of William Paul Young. You know what it has to do with? It has to do with the fact that there's human beings playing the character of God, and they would see that as a breaking of their understanding of the Second Commandment, making a graven image. So with that group, you can't go and see uh, The Passion of the Christ. You can't watch the Jesus movie. And if you're really consistent, not only do you not have Jesus on the cross, you probably don't even have a cross. And, you know, those little nativity scenes where they have little baby Jesus, you can't do that either. That's a graven image. Now, I want to take a look at the commandment itself, and we're going to take a look at what it's prohibiting and what it's not. And we're going to work with this assumption. Is there ever a time in Scripture where God commands somebody to sin? No, that's contrary to the character of God. God tempts no one. He would never command somebody to sin. So keep that in mind. All right, so here's the commandment. Let's pay attention to the details. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I'm going to pause there because you're going to notice that there's a period. Okay? If this were a blanket commandment against all graven images, let's say, for instance, that maybe you grew up in California and you have a thing for the humpback whales because everybody loves the humpback whales. They're quite majestic. If you've ever gone you know, on a whale sightseeing tour and seen them, they're ginormous. They're huge and they smell bad too. Yeah, you don't want to get too close to the blowhole. That's just what I'm saying here. You know, They don't use uh, little mints. You know, They need Tic Tacs like by the ton. But anyway... Kind of smells fishy. But let's say you have a thing for the humpback whales. And you decide that you are going to have on your wall, a, a, well, artwork dedicated to showing humpback whales in their native habitat. And so maybe you have this beautiful, majestic picture of a humpback whale swimming through the kelp beds of, off the coast of California. And you can see the light beams coming through the water. Does, if this was a blanket prohibition against that, 
would that be a sin to have that on your wall? Yes, absolutely. How about a carved wooden image of a humpback whale majestically sitting as the centerpiece of your coffee table? Yeah, that would actually be prohibited. Now that's on the earth beneath. What, what if the thing you really loved were elephants? And so you had pictures and, of elephants and carved elephants in your room, and you kind of had the Africa motif going on in your house. Would that be permitted? No. What about if you're into chubby little cherubim? I don't know why cherubim are always chubby, but you get those little chubby baby cherubim with the little wings. They're so cute. The precious moments chubby cherubim. Is that forbidden as well? Okay. So if we were to look at this just without any paying attention to details, just stark, this is the way it's going to be, that means pretty much all artwork done. You can't have it. Oh, yeah. No stuffed animals. Those have got to go. Although, I'm not sure if that is actually a creature of the deep. <laughs> I, but it's something, and yeah. she loves it. Right, yeah. Okay. Yes. The Hutterites. I've been to the Hutterite colony in... Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So, my girlfriend there has explained to me, and I've been in their church, and it is huge. Yeah. That's it. There's no music. There is nothing. Their homes, there is nothing on the walls. Mm -hmm. They do have family pictures, but they basically have them put aside. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing. So, and I'm trying to think of, of what they're, you know, if they're Lutheran or whatever it is, and I, I don't know what they are. Yeah. But this, they're, they're taking it. Right. They're taking this kind of at face value without any, without any definition. Because when they're in church, they cannot have anything to look at because then you're not focusing on God. Right. Because they said, well, Jesus, you know, the cross. They said, no, because if you're looking at something, you're thinking about something, you're not thinking about it. Right. Now, uh, there is a religion that is notorious in this sense, as far as the graven images and images regarding these things. And that's Islam. Most of the artwork of Islam is geometric patterns. Have you noticed that? Is that how come they do all that fancy stuff on their hands? Yeah, well, that's actually, I think, Indian culture. The, that's, it's Muslim? Okay, all right. Yeah. All right. No, they're not tattoos. They're kind of like temporary. Yeah. But they use all the drawing and it's all geometric. It's all geometric. Right. So on, at face value, if we believe this is the second commandment, all artwork gone. But then the commandment goes on. So you, not, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of, in, of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And here's the next part. You shall not bow down to them to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so it's the second part of this that makes us believe, along with kind of the church Catholic for millennia, that this is actually a subset of the commandment, you will have no other gods before me. Does that make sense? This isn't a standalone commandment. This is, in, this is in fact, a subset of the first commandment, having no other gods before me. Now, how do we know this? Can we say this confidently? Well, I want you to open up to Numbers 21, 
And we're going to work with the assumption that God would never command someone to sin. That's contrary to the nature of God. Numbers 21, starting at verse 4, we hear this shocking report about the children of Israel in the wilderness. Are you ready? Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against Moses and against God, and here's how it went, and I know this is the tone. Why have you brought us out here in Egypt to die in the wilderness? We know this is true because we've all been in this car, right? (laughs) There's no food, no water. We loathe this manna. So the Lord's solution, the Lord sent fiery serpents, nechashim seraphim in the Hebrew, among the people. These are the bronze desert adders. And um, one of the reasons they're called fiery serpents is because if they bite you, The venom literally makes you feel like you're on fire from the inside out. That's one of the way that neurotoxin works. Okay, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. We've spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed. Pray for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. Everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses said, God, the second commandment says, You shall not make a graven image. Why would you have me do that? Notice that's not what the text says. (laughs) Yeah, that's the Roseboro invented version here to make a point. Notice, no protest on the part of Moses. Moses doesn't go, dude, no, man, second commandment, man. Okay, he doesn't do that. Here's what, you know, Moses goes and he made a bronze serpent. He set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Is a Nechashim Seraphim one of the creatures of the earth? Yeah. If you just take that subset of the first commandment in a blanket way, this would have been sinful for Moses to make and it would have made God contradict himself. So the issue then is this. It's not that Scripture forbids artwork, statues, paintings, stained glass that depict Jesus or one of the apostles, or the saints, or one of the stories of the Bible, Scripture does not forbid that. What Scripture does forbid is the creation of an image for the purpose of bowing down and worshiping it as if it were God. Does that make sense? Now, keep this in mind. We're gonna, does anyone know the fate? In my Bible, there's a little picture, and the snake is on a crucifix. Yes. I love what you just said there. (laughs) We're going on a gospel detour here. Hang on a second here. You just said that in your Bible it has a picture of the bronze serpent and it looks like it's crucified, that it's on a crucifix. Do you know why? Let me show you another text. Go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And this is our gospel text for next Sunday. And this is the famous Nick at Night passage of Scripture. 
Nicodemus at night. And let's do this in context, because I think the context is going to be very helpful. John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night. You see, this is the Nick at night passage. And this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus said to him, Amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born, and I'm going to give the Greek word here. It's important to review this. Greek word is anothen. Unless, unless one is anothen, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, why did I just not translate the word? Here's the reason why. The Greek word anothen can mean one of two things, and it can only mean one of two things. Are you ready? It can either mean born from above, or it can mean born again. That's its only two definitions. Which one do you think Jesus is talking about? From above. But watch what Nicodemus thinks. He thinks he said, he's saying born again. So Jesus said, unless you are anothen, born, you know, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's silly. Jesus answered, Amen, Amen. Unless, I truly say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. Actually, that you must be anothen. Is it born again or born from above? From above. Because if you're born of the Spirit, you're born from where? From above. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Amen, amen. I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Notice now Jesus is really clear. He's talking about above. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite name for himself. And here's the important verse. Watch this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In other words... That serpent in the wilderness is a type and shadow of Jesus. And here's how the typology works. Children of Israel, they sin against God. God sends a curse. They're bitten by serpents. Moses prays. God doesn't take away the curse. He saves them through the curse by sticking a snake on a crucifix. On a, on a cross. And if you look at it, then you're saved. You won't die. We, we read this in our Old Testament text today, because of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, we are all snake bit. If you're not sure about this, the perfect way to test to see whether or not you're snake bit is to read the Ten Commandments and ask this simple question. Have I kept these perfectly? Okay. If you haven't kept these perfectly, you are snake bit. 
So how is it that we, being snake bit by the, watch this, fiery serpent, the serpent who's going to spend eternity in the fires of hell, how is it that we, being snake bit by the fiery serpent, are saved? Well, by believing in Jesus. We look to the one who was put on the tree, just like that serpent. And so the idea then is, is that the bronze serpent is a depiction of a curse, and Jesus becomes a curse for us because it says in Scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So then the idea then, your picture, your depiction of that serpent on a cross, you said it looks like a crucifix? It does, and the reason why is because it did, and it's supposed to, because that's a picture of Jesus that we see in Numbers 21. Yes? It seems like those people that saw the snake on the stick, they don't know that it's a type of someone to come centuries later. Right. They would be tempted to worship that Mm -hmm. because it's healing them. Yeah. Now, it's funny that you would say that. But you shouldn't be worshiping that because it's an image. Okay. Yeah, now, see, now it's funny that you would say that because it's like you read my mind. We're like on the same wavelength, dude. So here's the issue. Was Moses sinning by obeying God to make a graven image? Was God commanding Moses to sin? No. So this helps us understand that this subset of the first commandment is not a standalone commandment. It's a subset of the first. You will have no other gods. And the making of the graven images is in the context of idolatry. That's the context. Now, it just so happens that, well, the children of Israel did end up falling off the rails. Let me explain. 2 Kings 18. Find out the fate of this bronze serpent. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places, broke the pillars, cut down the Asherah, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it and called it Nahushtan, which sounds a lot like bronze serpent. So there you go. So you'll notice what was given as gift, what was given as a blessing to get the children of Israel through the curse, they in their wickedness turned it into an idol. And as a result of that, God had to take the gift away from them. So Moses didn't sin in making the bronze serpent. God did not command Moses to sin. But the later generations did sin when they said, oh, this is Nuhashtan. Oh, we're going to make offerings to Nuhashtan. And they turned it into an idol. And at that point, it's time to take your toy away. And the right thing to do would be destroy it. So the idea then is that we see that artwork, depictions of saints, whatever, that these can be good gifts used for the purpose of discipleship, instruction, embellishing and helping to teach the faith. 
or they can become something that is abused and crosses the line into idolatry. And the issue here, and you'll notice this then, that within the Reformed and the Anabaptist wings of the Protestant movement, I think that they were really, truly overreacting to very real idolatry that was taking place in the churches in the medieval period. I, I, I don't know how else to describe some of the things I've seen happening in particular churches regarding their religious art. And so this is an overreaction. Now keep this in mind. The opposite error of an error is still an error. Two wrongs never make a right. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. When we come back, the balance of today's look at the uh, prohibition regarding graven images and uh, what freedoms we have as Christians and Well, where the rails are. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas, because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean... What's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they's always having that 25 cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole everyday is Friday thing and have made some not so nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, But Saturday is so much better. With everyday being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy!
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website. You'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, a listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor never does in-depth biblical teaching. It's important. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount of money that you pick. There are four ranks in our crew, and you get to pick your rank. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. And then from there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to financially support Fighting for the Faith. It helps us have a solid financial base that we can plan on, <laughs> rely on, helps kind of smooth out the bumps in the, you know, the hills and the valleys in giving so that we can properly budget, pay our bills month after month, and then plan our next exploits. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button 
or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of today's lesson uh, as we take a look at the uh, Ten Commandments and its prohibition against graven images. But see, we as human beings, oftentimes we have this thing that we do. We see something that's wrong. And we not only see that it's wrong, we have a visceral, emotional sense of, I can't stand this thing, I hate it. And so our solution is to react in such a way that we end up in the opposite error. Now I'm going to give you an example. Let me give you a text first so we're not doing, con- doing this controversially. 1 Corinthians 11. This is one of the easier passages to kind of bear this out. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this. They're abusing the Lord's Supper, by the way. It's so bad. It's so bad that the poor are being X'd out of receiving the Lord's Supper. Could you imagine if Kongsvinger ordered itself in the pews based upon how much money you make? You poor people, you're in the back pews. You know, we need to see your, uh, you know, we need to see your W-2s and then we're going to figure out where you're going to get the sit. And then when it comes time for the Lord's Supper, if you're not making a particular amount of money, we're going to make sure that you don't get to the Lord's Supper. And here's how we're going to make sure of it. When we get up there, we're going to eat and drink the whole thing, even if that means we're getting inebriated. I mean, that's, that's really messed up. I've heard of some messed up churches, but not quite like this. So here's what he says. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And the, his exclamation is, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now, real quick here, was the Lord's Supper wine or grape juice? How do you know? There or not? There, in this text. Was, was it wine or grape juice? Wine. And you know this because they got drunk. Now, I, I bring this up to kind of make this point. In Christianity, there are some who say that if alcohol ever crosses your lips, that would be a sin. And they judge people accordingly. So, oh, you're a Christian who enjoys beer with dinner sometimes and has wine. Well, hmm, you're not really a Christian now, are you? On the other end... You have the libertines, the antinomians, who basically say, listen, Christ has set us free, we're forgiven, so let's party like it's 1999, who cares if I can't drive home, because Jesus loves me. Are either of those positions biblical? What does Scripture teach us? That alcohol, like many things, is a gift given by God. So is food. But any of God's gifts can turn into an idol. And that includes alcohol. It includes sex. 
It also includes art and food. Oh, yeah. That's right. Wasn't it also a cultural health issue because the water was impure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's this wonderful, there's this wonderful documentary called How Beer Saved the World. And, I, and I'm not joking. I mean, it's, it's a very modern thing to be able to drink water without dying or getting really sick from it. And drinking alcohol was a very important part of the ancient world to keep you from actually getting dysentery and things like that. Because drinking the water would get you killed. There's just no way around it. So, so here's the idea. What is the prohibition when it comes to this gift? The prohibition is getting drunk. Taking this gift to the point where you are hammered is absolutely forbidden by Scripture. But oftentimes what ends up happening in Christianity is because we live in times where we see people abuse a gift. Right? What was prohibition? You know what prohibition was? Prohibition was an overreaction to the drunkenness of basically the pioneer days of America. Do the history about this area. What were the settlers doing in the dead of winter? Drinking themselves under the table. There was nothing else to do. There was no television. I have an idea. Let's drink a whole thing of scotch. See what happens. But what also happened as a result of that alcoholism... Listen to the stories of the people who had family members here. What do they tell the stories about? Abuse and beatings and yelling and screaming and even sexual abuse that go along with it. This is, this is the dark, seedy past of the American frontier. And what's the reaction against it? Prohibition. Fine, we're going to get rid of the whole thing. Now you can't have no alcohol. How long did that last? It didn't last at all. So we as human beings, oftentimes we overreact to something that's wrong. But always remember, the opposite error of an error is still an error. So when you take God's good gifts and abuse them, that's sin. When you take God's gifts and you say, I'm going to make my own law. I'm now going to create a man-made rule that says you're not even a Christian unless you obey what we believe regarding these things. That's equally a sin. Let me give you a governing text here also, and this will be as we talk about this concept. I want you to look at Romans 4.15. Kind of a governing concept here. Romans 4.15. Here's what it says. The law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. So let me ask you, as Christians, are we allowed to play cards? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what card game are you playing? Uh huh. Yes, it was. Oh, I had friends that couldn't. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, (laughs) yeah. No, I'm. I. I. I am not making this up. I had friends in high school. I would go to my friends' homes, and there's their straight-laced mother, Stepford wife-esque type woman, 
and their straight-laced father, and I would go into the room, and we'd be talking or doing our thing, and then my friend would go like this. And they'd pull out a baggie. And the baggie didn't have marijuana or cocaine in it. The baggie had bicycle playing cards. And it's like, oh. And they couldn't dances. That's right. Mm-hmm. They couldn't play cards. That's right. They couldn't go to the movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You couldn't, right. you couldn't have dice. Listen. Uh-huh. I burned. I burned the Beatles' White Album. Shame. I've repented of this. Okay, so, so here's the idea. Does a Christian have freedom to play cards? Does a freedom, Christian have freedom to listen to the Beatles? Of course. Are you not a Christian if you play cards? Yeah. If you, do you, are you a Christian if you play cards? You, you can do it either way. Okay. Oh, no, see, here's the deal. Okay. It, it's, okay. This falls under the category of freedom. And so what I'm trying to explain to you is that well, there are certain gifts that we have freedom. Now, let me talk about sex real quick because our culture is like obsessed with sex. I don't understand why everyone's so obsessed with sex. It just doesn't make any sense. But in our culture, I mean, the young kids coming up, the millennials have absolutely like no morals whatsoever when it comes to sex. Now, is the solution, well, we as Christians, well, we just hate it. Sex is nah. No, the idea is this, is that we understand that scripture teaches that this is a gift from God and it is to be used in the context only of Christian marriage, period. So what becomes a sin the day before a couple is married, and I'm going to say this, and this is not provocative, this is actually how scripture describes it. What is a sin the day before the wedding becomes a good work the day after the wedding. That makes sense. Shakers that, that did not believe in sex are no more shakers. Yeah, that's right. The shakers did not believe in sex, and if it's, it's actually kind of tragic if you read the stories about them, the, what they were encouraged to do, what the shakers were encouraged to do. So couples were taught to not sleep in the same bed, and if they were having the temptations, you know, to be together as a couple, they were to get on their knees and pray until it passed. There are no more shakers. They they cease to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On some of this, with with anything that we indulge in, okay. Uh huh. We can take it too far. Yes. Okay. But within moderation, within the same con- or the, the correct context of how the will of God is on those. Topics. Maybe cards, you know, you can get in trouble with cards because you take it into the gambling. Yes, you can. Yeah. If you gamble more than you can afford, that will hurt your family and cause other things similar to Right. Cards can be an entertainment. Yes. Okay, drinking can be an entertainment also, but but not till you're drunk. Uh-huh. Or you, you 
So I find it a little amusing that our forefathers, I know what you're talking about, yeah. is he's treated with ticket as, as such that we would mm-hmm. be a total sin if we, you know. Now, in the same context, then, in this same context, I want to want to look at Colossians three, starting at verse five, and I want you to pay attention to the language here. Colossians three five. Do we need roll aids over there or something? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Colossians three verse five. Listen to what Scripture says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you: sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and watch the word, which is idolatry. You see, in the Ten Commandments, we have two commandments uh, uh, regarding coveting stuff and coveting people. And coveting itself is a form of idolatry. I mean, if you think about it this way, you remember the movie A Christmas Story with Ralphie and the Red Ryder BB gun? Great movie. But the whole story actually hinges on on what's going inside the heart of Ralphie. Ralphie is coveting the Red Ryder BB gun. That's his idol. And every waking moment, the only thing he can think about is that Red Ryder BB gun. And we sit there and go, it's so cute. But the reality is, is that this is a movie that at its core, you, if you look at it biblically, you sit there and go, man, that Ralphie, he's a coveter. And then you sit there and go, how many times have I done that? Oh, yeah, the leg lamp. That's, I, I really want one of those um, <laughs> for my pirate cave. I just think that would be awesome. Some in our community will idolize the fighting suit. Right, right. We, we can watch that up amongst our community. Uh-huh. A little further south is the bison or whatever. But when they take it to the point of Idolatry, that's what it's for. Right. So, so the idea then is this, is that just about any good gift that we have, any good gift, you can take that and turn it into an idol. It could be money. It can be sex. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be sports. I know that you follow the Dodgers because you have been influenced by the master himself. <laughs> We do not follow the Twinkies. That's a different story altogether. But I also know that you are a disgruntled Winnipeg Jets fan. Of course. But so let me just kind of throw this out. I mean, let me ask your wife. Has your husband ever maybe gone beyond what he should as far as his following of the sports teams? I have too. All right. Sometimes we do this. And so what do you got to do? We got to rein it back in. We got to rein it back in and say that that's idolatry. See it. For what it is. Now, Stephen, you had a point you've been dying to make. Well, it, actually, it actually is a perfect time to say this point. Um, you know, covetous, we can covet anything. And whenever these people do make a law unto themselves, like for the Muslim people that I talk to at work, whenever I talk to them about like where they're from or what they are, who they are, the first thing they always tell me is, I've never drank, I've never smoked. Like that, they make a point to say, I've never drank, I've never smoked. The society should get rid of alcohol. Like this is a, a point that they make as mm-hmm. Muslims. And they make themselves to be an idol. Like, look up to me. Look how great I am. Mm-hmm. I don't do these things. You know, and that's what all these other people are doing as well. But yeah. it's super active in Islam. And see, this is where we have to be careful. And uh, one of the things I have noticed is that when it comes to the things that we have freedom and someone's approach to it, either in an antinomian, libertine kind of way or in a 
super legalistic, man-made law kind of way, both of them are engaging in a form of idolatry. Both of them. It's not an either-or. Both are in a ditch. It's just they're in the opposite ditch. And what I find very fascinating is that oftentimes liberalism as we know it, you know, like within the churches, it's extremely legalistic. And it's just the flip side of the same coin, kind of conservative legalism. And it's important for us to note that there are people who've been burned by both brands of legalism, whether in the liberal libertine kind of way or in the super legalistic, um, pietistic kind of way. Both of them are flip side of the same coin and Christianity is neither. Christianity approaches these things in this way. This is a gift from God and a gift can be abused and turned into an idol. And a gift can also be used in such a way where my freedom now is actually hurting the conscience of my neighbor. And so these things where we have liberty and freedom, we must always practice our liberty and freedom with an eye out for the need of our neighbor and his own conscience. Does that make sense? And this is exactly how Scripture talks in these terms. Let me pull this up. And I'll get you guys there too. Because back in the day, back in the day, in Paul's day, well, it was every one of the days of the week. It's just it was a long time ago, several thousand years ago. In the ancient world, I, real idolatry was like very common in all of the cities and stuff like that. So as Christians, if we were Christians back in that time, I mean, where did you go to buy meat? No, you did not go to the butcher. You went to the temple of Zeus. Because the food with the, the animals were sacrificed to idols. And so the Apostle Paul talks about something like, you know, how do we handle such a thing? Uh, like, if I go to somebody's house and they're making steaks, I mean, everybody knows that steak isn't a sin. Steak is not a sin. I'm just saying. Yeah. No, steak is not a sin. It's not a sin. And, uh, but if you go to someone's house and they're offering steak to you for dinner, that there's a good chance that if they're pagan or Gentile, that they went to the temple of Zeus to purchase the steak, which means that this was the, the steak was actually part of a sacrifice to Zeus. What do you do? What do you do in a situation like that? <laughs> Let's see how Paul tells us to manage our, our freedom. 1 Corinthians 10.14 Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Don't just hang around it. Flee it. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ. Talking about the Lord's Supper. Yes, it is. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? So what do I imply then? That food offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Is Paul saying that idols are actually real things? No. No, I imply that with pagan sacrifice they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Now, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let each, let one seek his own good, but let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question 
on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, hey, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informs you for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I being denounced as that for which I give thanks? So you notice here then, we have to practice our liberty responsibly. And in the scenario set up in this text, if you go to somebody's house and they're a pagan and they offer you steak, as long as they don't say to you, hey, I bought this in the temple of Zeus and it was offered as a sacrifice, you can go ahead and eat it. But as soon as they make that an issue, bummer, because man, it smells so good. And it's Um, the, actually, that's not quite the context here. It, it's kind of like, what did they have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the idea then is, is that we have freedom. We have, we have freedom as long as somebody else's conscience, I can do something without really stomping on it. Okay. Now, those of you who know people who have suffered from alcoholism, and maybe they've gone to a 12-step program and they are now sober, and they can tell you how many days they've been sober. If you invite that fellow or woman to your home and you offer them a beer, are you helping them? Not at all. But do you have freedom to have a beer? Yes. But is it stupid and unloving and absolutely selfish on your part to sit there and go, oh man, this Sam Adams IPA is so good. Oh, too bad you can't have any. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Now, I've always been a little confused about, uh, you know, when Paul tells Timothy to drink wine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because he has a pain in his stomach or something. Yeah. Now, it seems like in order to take away that pain with wine, you have to be at least a little buzzed, don't you? Like, I, I don't know. One drink of wine is going to... I don't now I don't think he was saying take the take as much wine as it takes to make your senses dull. I don't think I think he was talking about medicinally taking wine. Have you heard of a hot toddy? You know, if that's what kind of the, the, the concept here, but with wine. So so here's the idea then. Coming kind of pulling this all together. All of this all has to do with the same theme. And the same theme is that what we see in Exodus twenty is not a prohibition against all images or even liturgical art or a depiction of Jesus. Or the, so we can have a nativity scene. We, can have, we wanted to have a crucifix here. We can have a crucifix. We have Norwegian Jesus already. And we can, you know, but we can, if we wanted to fill these with stained glass windows depicting the lives of the apostles, we could do that in freedom. Does that make sense? That's not what's prohibited. And then in the same way, just like art is a gift, it can be abused, All of the good gifts that God gives us can be abused and turned into idols and be used in a way that is harmful to you as well as to your neighbor. So we always practice our freedom in a way that has an eye out towards the conscience of my weaker neighbors and has an eye out for making sure that I'm not using my freedom in a way that's causing somebody else to stumble. Does that make sense? So the idea is... If listen, if it's free, if it's truly free, 
You don't need it. And you have the freedom if you want to use it. But you don't have the freedom to use it if using it means it's going to hurt your neighbor. That's the idea. Keep these things in balance. Yes? Just on all of what we've talked about, you know, whether it would be someone's collection of spoons or, uh-huh. or great grandma's lamp or whatever, how does, how does any person judge when they're stepping over the line? In a situation like that, um, it's best to leave that judgment you know, let God's word and God's law do the judging. It, let me let me explain. Um, let's say you have a you 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 have a, a brother or sister who isn't a believer, and you know maybe they're engaging in idolatry, and you can and you can see a real manifestation of it. In a situation like that, you can the the bigger issue is is that they don't they're not penitent believer in Christ, and so all of this is a manifestation of their unbelief, and so you're going to need to preach the law and gospel to them and proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins. But here in church, you're going to notice something, and that is is that as we work through the lectionary, every year we hit all of the major doctrines of Christianity. Every single year. And you'll notice, we don't hold back on the law. So you guys hear law, and you hear gospel. And so the idea then is that as you come to church, you're going to hear God's law, and you've got to understand, when you're hearing God's law, you're hearing the voice of God. It's not, the, it's not law in the abstract. This is the voice of God in it through His word of law. And now the question comes, as God's law comes to you to convict you of your sin, which is what it's supposed to do. That's one of its roles. It, it shows you your sin, and it shows you what a good work is. As you hear it, and you reflect on your own life, now the question is, am I guilty of idolatry? Have I taken a good gift of God and gone beyond and abused it in a way where now I'm looking to that thing to give me comfort, aid, and hope, and this is the thing that my mind is obsessed on and meditating on and kind of chewing on all the time, as opposed to having God and enjoying that as a gift. You see what I'm saying? And so the idea then, as God's word of law comes to you, the question is, is the Spirit convicting you of idolatry? And so it's best then as Christians, we'll keep the word coming, law and gospel, reflect on your own life and ask that question. And the Lenten season is a good time to reflect on these things. How, you know, what does my life look like in light of the Ten Commandments? Christ has bled and died for my sins. What, what exactly are the sins that I put Him on the cross for? And repent of those and be forgiven. That's the idea. I'll say on that reasoning... Roman Catholic, when they kiss the Pope's ring, they say they're not worshiping, but it sure looks like everybody else. Yeah, you know. But in their mind, they say they're not. Who's right? You know. I have I I, I have a hard time finding any justification for kissing anybody's ring. Okay. Period. Um, And we've got a problem with the office of the papacy at this point, and. I mean, good night. I mean, Jesus is the only one who accepts worship. And that looks like it crosses the line in a lot of ways. I, there's no way I could do it in a good conscience, which is probably one of the reasons I never get invited to Rome. But that's a different story altogether. All right, we'll see you guys next week. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at 
Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ by carrying death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>